to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter number 8. Let's begin in verse number 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Of all of the books of the Bible that a Christian should master, I would put the book of Romans at the very top of that list. If you're not familiar with the book of Romans, you don't know the Bible. Of all of the chapters in the book of Romans, I don't think any chapter is more important than chapter number 8. Of all of the verses in this chapter, just about every Christian here could quote verse number 28. We're familiar with it because we find ourselves in desperate need of that great truth. But the sad thing is, that is about the only verse in the whole chapter that most people know anything about. And in reality, for most people, I believe that verse number 9 is probably the most important verse in this entire chapter. And I want us to focus on verse number 9 and especially on the last half of that verse where Paul says, Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Before we look at that, let me ask you a question. How would you define a Christian? If we were to take a survey today, we'd probably get all kinds of different answers, and, and, and of course the only right answer is the Bible, but people have a lot of different ideas, and uh, somebody might say, well, you can, you can identify a Christian by the fact that they wear a cross, uh, or maybe they keep a Bible on the coffee table, and so, you know, we identify Christian people in that way, or maybe they got a fish logo bumper sticker on their car. Or maybe they wear one of those WWJD bracelets, you know, and we look at that and we say to ourselves, well, you know, that, that person is a Christian. Or maybe there's a rosary hanging from the rear view mirror. Maybe they keep their radio tuned to a Christian radio station, or it might be that they attend church and we just assume that these people must be Christians. But we need to look at the Bible and find out what the Bible says about defining a Christian. 
one writer of old made this statement concerning our text this morning. Let me read it again. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And the quote is, this is the truest definition of a Christian. Now, if you read verses 17, 18, and 19 in the little letter to Jude, you'll discover there that Jude describes unsaved people as having not the Spirit. If that is the manner in which you describe unsaved people, and that's what the Bible does, then this one particular preacher might have been right whenever he says this is the truest definition of a Christian. That if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, that he is none of his. We live in a day where there's a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. And in reality, there's no reason for us to talk about that or to, to debate those issues pertaining to the gifts of the Spirit until we're clear about this. I, in fact, I think that's exactly what Paul was doing. If you'll turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for just a moment. And here Paul is writing this letter to the church at Corinth, a church that possessed all of the spiritual gifts, but a church that, that was guilty of misusing those gifts. And so as Paul writes to them in regards to trying to settle the dust in that church fight and to bring them together and to settle these doctrinal issues, I want you to notice what he does in verse number 19. He says, what? Question mark. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. It was as though Paul is saying to this church, there is no need of us discussing all of these issues that's troubling you until, first of all, you get this settled in your heart. And that is, do you understand the reality of God actually living in you and your body becoming the temple of God and the Holy Spirit living within you? And we need to make certain this morning that we have that settled in our heart. It's amazing to me that some people want to talk about everything under the sun except the most important thing. And that's whether they've been born again or not. They want to talk about where Cain got his wife. They want to talk about, you know, who the two witnesses are during the tribulation period and all of these other questions. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're not saved this morning, it simply does not matter because your main need more than anything else is the need to be born again. When we think about this subject, there's some things that we've got to know in order to be a Christian. Remember, we're talking about defining a Christian. Here's some things we've got to know. No one can be saved until, first of all, they realize they're a sinner. You, you, you've got to, it's like the old saying, you've got to be lost before you can be saved. 
And the fact is, you've got to know that you're lost. You've got to know that you're a sinner in the sight of God. And the tragedy of the hour is that most people can't even define sin. They don't know what it is. Oh, they've got a list of things, you know, and they look at those things and, you know, they would identify some of those particular things as as being sinful, but as far as defining sin, they don't have an idea. Even though the Bible defines it for us, they don't know. And a great many people do not realize that they are sinners. You'll never be saved till you come face to face with the fact that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one, and that includes you. You are lost, a hell-bound, hell-deserving sinner. And, and that's the fact of the matter. And you've got to face that particular truth. Not only that, but nobody can be saved without, first of all, not only realizing their loss, but understanding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just believing that He lived is not enough. Somebody says, oh, well, I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus worked miracles. I believe He was crucified on the cross. I believe that He arose from the grave. I believe that He's coming back again. That must mean that I'm saved. No, it doesn't mean any such thing. It simply means that you know a lot of the historical facts about the Lord Jesus Christ. But having a knowledge of those historical facts are not going to save you. The fact of the matter is you have to understand His person and His work, who He really is. He's not just a miracle worker. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a good example. He is God in the flesh. You've got to understand that. And you've got to understand what He came to do. The fact that He gave Himself as a sacrifice for your sins. Until you understand that, until you realize that you're a sinner, you'll never be saved. Not only that, but in order to be saved, you have to actually trust in the sacrifice that Christ made. Knowing He did those things is one thing. Trusting Him to save you is another thing. Then on this list, would be this that relates to our message this morning. No one can be saved without possessing the Holy Spirit. No, that's what it says, right? I mean, it's very clear. He says, now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, it says he is none of his. Based on their outward appearance, it might be they seem to be saved. But it's one thing for us to make a profession of faith and another thing for us to actually possess the Holy Spirit. So let's think about this person. First of all, think about their looks. I'm talking about those that have not the Spirit of God. When you think about their looks, and I want you to notice that nothing here is said about amazing attainments. He, he, he doesn't say you can identify a Christian because they have amazing attainments in life or tremendous talent or maybe, maybe visible virtues. And we look at them and say, my, what a virtuous person they are. And we conclude that on that basis that they must be a Christian. Nor is anything said about religious rituals. Nothing whatsoever 
or even cultural conformity. we got a lot of people in the world today that think of Christianity in terms of culture, uh, you know, the culture Christian, that we, we live, you know, in such a way that I had a woman tell me several years ago, I said, ask her if she was a Christian. She said, of course I am. I was born right here in America. Well, you could be born on a mountain, but it wouldn't make you a billy goat, would it? Amen. I mean, look, just just because you were born in, uh, you know, in, in America doesn't mean that you're a child of God. So whenever we look at people like this, we need to understand that the Bible doesn't doesn't speak of any of these things as being the factor when it comes to identifying a Christian. Their creed, that is what they believe, might be correct. In other words, they've got all of the historical facts down correct in their mind. Their profession might be persuasive. I mean, I've talked to some people that were very persuasive about the fact that, you know, that they had been saved. And even though they were living like the world and had been for 20 years... Uh, they still would argue with you until the sun went down that I know that I was saved. And boy, I mean, they'd say it was in an old old revival meeting years ago, and they'll describe how they walked down the aisle and, the, and shook the preacher's hand, and, and they said a prayer, and I know that I'm saved. But look, there's more to being saved than just having a persuasive profession of faith. That's not going to get you to heaven. Not only that, not only that, but there is such a thing as a counterfeit confidence. Think about it. And, and, and you say, what are you talking about, preacher? I mean, if, if, I, if we've got confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, surely we're saved. But there's a counterfeit for everything that's real. In Matthew chapter number 7, it identifies some people that are very religious in fact, these people are so religious, they talk about their good works. You know, have we not, you know, done all of these wonderful works in your name? And, and you know, in your name, we've, uh, we've done wonderful works. We've cast out devils in your name. And, and notice they're doing all of these things in his name. We're not talking about somebody following Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad or anybody else. We're talking about somebody professing to be a Christian. And the amazing thing is that when they stand before the Lord, he says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. He didn't say there was a time when I knew you and you stumped your spiritual toe and lost your salvation. He said, I never knew you. You were never saved. Never. And yet here they are standing before the Lord, confident that they're all right. Can you imagine living your life thinking that you're saved and then dying and going to hell? What an awful tragedy that would be to stand before the Lord and hear Him pronounce those words, I never knew you. So you can have a confidence that is a counterfeit. Not only that, but whenever we look upon these people, there can be a conduct that is credible. By that, I mean they can live up to the standard of what we, you know, assume for Christians. In fact, that wouldn't be hard to do nowadays. The fact of the matter is, we've lived down to the standard of the world. But there are a lot of folks out here, religious folks, and they know what the 
Christian thing is to do. You know, everybody's got a list. The Christians don't do this and they don't do that. And there are a lot of folks, whenever you look at their list, well, it looks pretty good. It's credible. I remember Dad, back before he ever made a profession of faith, and I kept talking to him about his need to be saved. And he kept saying, he said, I'm just as good as those people down there at the church. And the fact of the matter is, he was as good or better than most of the people down at the church. But it's not a matter of whether you're good or better. It's a matter of the fact that we are all sinful and we all come short of the glory of God. It's like you and I getting out here, you know, on a steep cliff somewhere and we're going to try to jump across the ocean, you know, and we get back and we take a run and uh, maybe I jump off and because of my excess weight it's just splat about, you know, two feet past the edge of the cliff. And you jump off the cliff and you go out there, let's say you set a broad jump record. You go out there about 28 feet before you finally start your downward motion and splat on the rocks below. We both fail just because you had, uh, you know, something that was better than what I did doesn't get you across the ocean. And just because your conduct is more in line with the Christian standard than somebody else doesn't mean that's going to get you to heaven. So you can have a conduct that is credible and, and, and you can have abilities that are absolutely astonishing. Somebody says, oh, i tell you what, I heard so-and-so sing Amazing Grace. They've just got to be a Christian. Do you ever hear George Jones sing Amazing Grace or Tammy Wynette or some of those people? Now, I'd like to think all of those folks are saved, but I just can't bring myself to believe that. I hope they were saved before they die, let me put it that way. But I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people with astonishing abilities... A lot of people that will talk about the Lord, sing about the Lord, that have never been born again. So that's the look of these people. These people that claim to be Christians, but they have not the Spirit. We need to think about their lack. First of all, there's no saving faith. There might, there might be a lot of knowledge about Christ, but there's no saving faith. And, and by the way... Some people are guilty of having faith in faith instead of faith in Christ. Have you ever talked to somebody and they said, well, I'll tell you one thing. I've got a lot of faith, just like faith's going to get them to heaven. Well, faith in itself is not going to save you. Faith didn't die on the cross for you. Somebody said, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I've always been a positive thinker and I, I've got strong faith and I think things will turn out for the best and I don't worry about it. You better worry about it. Just having faith, as it were, is not going to get you into heaven. It's the object of the faith that really matters. Your faith has to be rooted and grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand His person, His work, that is what He did for you, and put your trust in Him. And that requires genuine faith. It requires genuine repentance. Somebody, you know, talks about the fact that they've repented, and what they really mean is... I've just reformed. Look, I quit drinking probably hundreds of times before I was ever saved. I didn't quit very long, but for a night or two anyway. And just reforming your ways is not going to get you into heaven. Not only that, these people lack love. I'm talking about real, genuine love. When Bev and I got married, I 
loved her. I loved her. I, I mean, it, as much as I could, I loved her. But I didn't know what real love was. In reality, the only person that, that I really loved was me. I didn't care about anybody else. I, I really didn't. I mean, if it got in the way of what I wanted to do. In fact, when we got married, I told her, look, I said, uh, you know, we're married now. And anytime I want to go fishing or hunting or anything, I said, I'm, I'm going to go whether you like it or not. And there's no need in you arguing about it or anything. That's just the way it's going to be. And that's the way it was. It's miserable for her, you know, and uh, in reality it was miserable for me because I didn't know anything about love. Let me tell you, if, if you are unsaved, you don't know anything about love because you lack real love. Not only that, these people lack a hatred for sin. Some people, you know, all the time wondering, why, why are you Christians so adamant about, you know, we shouldn't do this and we shouldn't do that because we hate sin. We hate sin. I mean, it was sin that nailed our dear Savior to the cross. We hate sin. But, but those folks, you know, those folks that, that possess not the Spirit, there's no genuine love. There's no true hatred for sin in their life. And no, there's no self-renunciation. That is, they're, they're not going to deprive themselves of anything whatsoever. They continue to live so as to please the flesh, and that leads to their loss. Because they lack these things, their loss has to do with a number of things. For one thing, they have no place and no privilege in the church. Now, they might get their name on the roll, but the Bible says that God, God sets the members in the church as it pleases Him. You know, we often talk about that we want to get out here and reach people and we want to add to the church. No, you don't want to do that. You really don't. Somebody says, well, I know somebody down the road and I think I can get them to join the church. Please don't do that. I don't want anyone joining this church that God doesn't send here. And that's why whenever our guests, uh, uh, whenever they come in and Don and Sarah back there this morning, I was talking to them and the boys and I, I don't know their background, where they came from or anything. And I could have used several different names this morning. And, and you know, I generally say, look, if I can be of help in any way, please let me know. If you got any questions about the church, I'll be glad to answer them. But I don't camp out on their doorstep. I'm not going to make a pest out of myself. I'm not going to persuade them, you know, uh, from the fleshly standpoint, oh, come on and join with us. I don't want anybody to join this church without God putting them here. Because what happens is... If I encourage them to join or they just decide on their own to join the church, all of a sudden when things go awry, they hit the road, Jack. I mean, they're out looking for another church. They're, they're down the road somewhere. But when they know this is where God put me, come hell or high water, I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to stay with it. I'm not going to give up because this is where God wants me to be. That's the attitude that we ought to have. And listen, it's a great privilege to be a part of the Lord's church. This is the bride of Christ. We are His representatives here upon this earth. That's a great privilege. But look, if you are one of those that possess not the Spirit, you have no place, no privilege in the church. Nor, nor do you have any real fitness for Christian service. You know, we, 
we have a way of of uh, comparing people. So-and-so, you know, they can preach better than so-and-so, and so-and-so can sing better than so-and-so. And, you know, we look at these people and we compare by, by looking at their abilities. Let me tell you, it's not all about our abilities. That That's not the important thing. It's the anointing of the Spirit of God. It's the enablement of God's Spirit that makes us able to be effective servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't make any difference how much ability you got. You're not fit for Christian service unless, unless you are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so that's another loss. And then there's no spiritual fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian here can tell you the most wonderful thing about being a Christian is being able to fellowship with your dear Savior. I, I know, I know you can't see Him. You can't reach out and touch Him. But He's real because He lives in your heart. And you know it. And having that warmth and that love and just knowing that you are in fellowship with Him. Look, that's the most wonderful thing in this world. And these people don't have it. That's why they think some of you is kind of odd, kind of weird you know, you get all excited and you're thrilled about worshiping the Lord and, you know, they, they, looking at you kind of cross-eyed like, what in the world's wrong with that person, you know? Well, it might be they got what you need. And to not have that is tragic. Think about it. No forgiveness of sin, no relationship with God, no eternal salvation, no inheritance in heaven. Think about Think about their loss. They're going to be exposed one of these days for what they really are. It, it's pretty easy for you and I to hide our identity. You know, in other words, we can take a Bible under our arm and march off to church on Sunday morning, put on our very best Sunday go-to-meeting clothes, use all of the right words, and just, you know, we can sing with all of our heart, and we can give up a few bad habits and do things like that, and all of a sudden we've got everybody believing that we're Christians. But the Lord knows the truth. And people like that, People that do not have the Spirit of God living in them are going to be exposed. Well, that would be bad enough, but it doesn't end there. They're going to be exposed and they're going to be rejected. Remember, Jesus said, depart from me. That, that, that's, that's what makes hell so terrible, folks. It's not the heat. It's not the flames. It's not the company. It's being separated from God for eternity. And they're going to be exposed, they're going to be rejected, they're going to be shut out, they're going to be punished for all of eternity because of their sins in the sight of God. Now there's one more thing I want you to hang on to this morning, and that's their lesson. Even these unsaved people, these folks that have not the Spirit, can teach us some valuable truths. Number one it ought to lead us to an honest self-examination of ourselves. And, and I say that because, folks, you might be among their number and not even know it. That's why Paul said to this same church in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves, prove yourselves, whether you be in the faith or not. 
And that's what every person needs to do, to examine their heart. Let me tell you a good way to do that. You go home and you study. I, I didn't say read. I said study the little letter of First John. You study that, and I'll guarantee you, in that little letter, you'll find out the the spiritual vital signs of a child of God. He makes it perfectly clear that if a person is saved, they're going to have these vital signs. You see a body laying out alongside the road. You jump out of your car and run over there, and there's no pulse. Uh, the person's not breathing, and you check all of the vital signs. And finally, after a, after a while, you determine there's no life because there's no vital signs. And if a lot of people, to be honest, and they would look into the Word of God at the vital signs, they would have to conclude there's no life. There's no spirit within. There's no hope of heaven in their heart. Listen to what he said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him, and He in us. Now listen. Because He hath given us of His Spirit. How do I know I'm going to heaven? Because He gave His Spirit. His Spirit is within me. Go back to chapter 8 of Romans, verse number 16, and it tells us very clearly here that we know that we're saved. He says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You see, you can burn my Bible, you can destroy my baptismal certificate, you can remove my name off of the roll of the church and all of those things, but you can't ever convince me I'm not saved because the Spirit of God living within me assures me that I'm a child of God. You say, well, preacher, don't you ever doubt? Don't you ever wonder about it? No. Why would I? Well, maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, don't you think a person can doubt their salvation? Well, yeah, I do. I think you can go horseback riding, fall off your horse, hit your head on a rock, and it might be that you won't even know your name or where you live for a while. But that's not the normal you. Are you with me? And the normal you, if you're a child of God, you're not going to be doubting and wondering, am I really saved or not? Why? The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. If any man hath not the Spirit, what? He's none of his. Who do you belong to this morning? Is the Holy Spirit residing within you? Do you have that wonderful blessed assurance that you know that if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? Do you know your sins have been forgiven? If not, you need, you need to settle that. Right here, right now, this morning. Little Rebecca Bliss went off to camp. She's going to be baptized here in just a little bit. Where'd she go? Where yet, Rebecca? Right back there. And we'll be baptizing her in a little bit. But she went off to camp and ended up trusting Christ as their Savior. She had made a profession of faith just like a, like a lot of people do. And I look around here today. I remember when Peggy Farr got saved. 
I had no reason in the world to think Peggy Farr was anything but a Christian. She was one of our faithful members. She was a worker in the church. She was faithful to the church. And I, I, I about fell over whenever she came forward and they said, I'm not, not saved. I need, to, I need to be saved. I thought my wife was a Christian when we got married. I thought my wife was a Christian whenever, whenever I got saved, when I surrendered to preach, while I was pastoring the church. I, I thought, well, I've got a good Christian wife. And the reality of it is, if look, if she had got killed in a car wreck, and it's a wonder she didn't the way I drove back then, and if she would got killed in a car wreck as the pastor of a church... She would, have, she would have went to hell for all of eternity because she wasn't saved. I'm glad she got that settled. Amen. I'm saying all that to say this. It just might be that there's someone else here like Peggy Farr or Beverly Stone or Rebecca Bliss. Somebody else here. You've made a profession of faith. And you know all of the facts you can stand up and quote scriptures and everything under the sun. But the real question this morning is, does the Holy Spirit live within your heart? And if you have not the Spirit, you don't belong to God. Will you examine yourself in the light of God's Word and be honest? And if you're not saved, please don't put it off any longer. Let's stand together. Rebecca, you come on, honey, and go on to the dressing room. We're going to extend this verse of invitation. And if you're here and, and you're not certain about your salvation, would you come this morning? It might be that you've got some questions. Brother Kenneth or I, one, will help you the best that we can. But don't put it off any longer. You never know when you're going to have your last opportunity. While we sing.